Emma and Tom Talk Teaching, a podcast about all things education, presented by Emma Thea and Tom Breeze. Episode 7, Challenge for All Pupils, with James Wise. Hello and welcome back to the podcast where we're in our podcast happy place because we've got a guest from school. I recently had the privilege of delivering a whole day to our student teachers with our guest who's from a school just down the road, James Wise from Cardiff High School. Welcome. Thank you very much. We tried to do this a few times, haven't we? But we finally we have. Finally I've got, we've got you now. You're sealed yeah. in. You may not escape. I would, I would guess that you this is not your first time on a podcast i don't know why i'd guess that but um, that would be my guess i think it is is it i think it is yeah. oh well welcome i've done like um conferences and things like that online yeah that may have been recorded but never never a podcast yeah itself so here we go because yeah. you are the big cheese of research ed cymru amongst other things aren't you yeah well yeah one of the organizers of um, research ed cymru and exclusive uh, it's going to be march the 4th 2023 so event bright is going to go live hopefully next week so sort of middle of november well, before Tickets. we do anything, do you want to tell us what Research Ed Cymru is and then well, tell us how to get on it? <laughs> research Ed Cymru is related to Research Ed, which is a grassroots teacher organisation looking at trying to make the link between sort of classroom practice and research. So it brings together people from universities, academia and importantly, teachers in the classroom. Event happened on a, on a Saturday. So it was a live in-person event where you tend to get sort of about 30 speakers across the day talking about all manner of things, curriculum, pedagogy assessment leadership but just engaging in research and what it actually means um and on a sort of practical level and it sort of blew up sort of about five years ago really it came from a sort of an idea on twitter i think that tom bennett had and it sort of just grew from there and now it's sort of all over the world Mm. and we we did our first one where you both spoke actually about three years ago or two and a half years ago pre-pandemic is the last conference we attended before the pandemic hit it was yeah pre-pandemic and it was great and it sold out really really quickly and we anticipate this one will do as well so we're in the process now of, of booking speakers and getting the tickets out there you better tell people how to get on it then if it's going to sell out so there will be if you follow twitter at cymru ed um from there there'll be the event bright link or just search event bright for research ed cymru wonderful there we go well, wow, looking forward to it. Yes. We will try and get our own tickets uh, because we we got fond memories actually of of that event, and it was there that we saw the mighty Mary Myatt who did one yes. of the keynotes, didn't she? She did. Um, and it's probably a nice segue there because one of the chapters in Mary Myatt's book that we found particularly interesting, Curriculum Gallimaufry to Coherence, had a, a little chapter that we provide for our student teachers in preparation for a school led training day about challenge. But other bit of contextual detail is that James you came in last academic year to deliver as part of our ALN um, additional learning needs conference um, and your session was supposed to be about more able and talented and I'm, I'm saying that with a smile because actually what it really did unpick um, and help the students to understand was this notion that challenge should be for everybody and that's something that Mary certainly um, talks about in the book. Um, she's got this nice idea hasn't she about sort of giving pupils work above their pay grade um, and that everybody 
deserves that level of challenge, um, not necessarily just your more able pupils. So we wanted to get you in and get that that out to a wider audience. And I just thought I'd have a bit of fun with the first question and just ask you, what do you feel like and what does it look like for you when you're challenged? Oh, it's a good question, isn't it? So I think you could look at it in a way of when somebody's challenged, perhaps the wrong way of looking at it is they're challenged and it looks like they're being busy and they're doing lots of things. And that's that's challenging. Come on, you've got to keep doing this and then do that and then do that. And physically they're doing things. They're writing lots. Maybe they're talking lots. But I think that's perhaps the wrong way to look at challenge and think of it in, in a cognitive sense. Challenge is when somebody's thinking hard. And the right level of challenge then is is the, the extent to which they're thinking hard. So almost challenges going from what do I know and what do I understand? And the challenge comes in that gap then between what am I yet to understand and what am I yet to know? And that, that gap between those two things is is the challenge. And I think sometimes as teachers we can give challenge is perhaps too easy and perhaps it's too close to what they already know what they can already do and that's when it tends to look busy and it could look effective but they're not actually challenged they're not actually thinking hard the, the opposite of that is where you give them challenges that's too hard and it's too far from what they know or too far from away from what they can already do and the challenge becomes too much then and you get sort of rather sort of passive pupils who, who may at that point sort of give up the physical thing is, is the misnomer what is is the cognitive thing are they thinking hard if they're thinking hard they're challenged so getting that pitch right is for me is sort of the key to challenge and like you say for all pupils not just what would be labeled as more able and talented pupils but every pupil needs to be challenged that gap between what they do know and can do and what they're yet to know what they're yet to be able to do I think it sort of frightens new teachers. Obviously, we work with new teachers a lot, don't we? Student teachers, NQTs, they they kind of, they can see the really able ones. They're really visible often, not always, but often. They can see the ones that really, really need support. I mean, maybe they're causing a bit of trouble or maybe they're just really, really struggling. And then there's that big mass in the middle who are kind of a bit harder to pin down. They can get a bit disheartened sometimes at the thought that they've kind of almost got to plan 30 lessons. And yet that's clearly impossible. So how do you start? Because you work a lot with our student teachers. How do you start to kind of broaden their thinking around challenge without making them think that they've got to plan 30 lessons or create 30 sets of resources? Yeah, I'd say whatever group you've got in front of you, there's going to be a mix of prior attainment, prior knowledge, prior skill levels. There's always going to be a mix from, you know, a bell curve so to speak even if you're in a mixability group or you're in a group of sets the key for me is to have clarity of learning objective for all pupils we want all pupils to achieve this to be able to understand this or to be able to do this and really tight specific learning objective clarity for that that's almost the level if you like and then a phrase we use quite a lot is is same bar different ladders so how then can we bring all pupils up to that that point and like you say some pupils it's quite easy to see they are in need of support at that point, which is where sort of differentiation comes in. And perhaps as, as a teacher, what I would say is, you know, the best differentiation resource in the room is you as a teacher. Is going to speak to pupils, giving pupils a prompt question, guiding something. Yeah, maybe giving them some sheets with additional language, things like that, perhaps. But mainly you going over and, and talking to pupils. The pupils who are sort of at the, who've got it and need a bit of extra challenge in the lesson, I think, key then is to get them to think harder about the thing itself i'll come on to this group in the middle in a moment but so the pupils who've understood something that they've got it what do you do with them in in the room then so we, we use a technique at cardiff high school called a stretch it task 
if they've sort of they th- we think they've understood something we think they've grasped it then we give them a stretcher task can you explain this can you rank this can you compare this so it's given to think more deeply about the thing itself and that sort of stretches them a little bit further it's not a new learning objective it's not taking them on a different path or turn the page do the next task or go on to the next topic it's thinking hard about that topic itself and then those people's in the middle the ones who you're not so sure about I think it's it's good formative assessment in the room to understand, to try and ascertain, do they understand and where are they at this moment in time? And then go into them and, and give them, do they need an extra prompt question to stretch them a bit more? Do they need a little bit more support? So perhaps those two things of stretching and support for all pupils. But you're right, you can, sometimes you can see who needs it, but often you can't see who needs it. You can't see what's going on cognitively. Mm-hmm. So how do you get that coming back at you? And, and I think the formative assessment is a real key part in then responding and stretching pupils and challenging pupils yeah a little bit more it strikes me that it's got a real implication at no matter what stage you're at in your teaching career that you you somehow need to have opportunities to be freed up from the role of teacher in in a sense that you know the, the person who's setting up the task that's doing the expositions and direct teaching but freed up to really get in amongst the pupils when they're working independently on a task task that you've set them to understand how they're responding to it something that I know that student teachers struggle with early on because they tend to be more hung up about the sort of performative aspects of teaching you know how do I stand up in front of them communicate with the class effectively that they don't necessarily know what to do when the pupils are busy Um, so I think it's a really important point here about being free to, particularly if you're in the observation stage, when you've got the luxury about being able to get in amongst the pupils and, and really get a, a sense of their understanding. Um, so, so two things there, the, the importance of AFL that you mentioned and, and really understanding this sort of prior knowledge and understanding, but also being able to get in amongst them during the lesson, particularly in that early stage when you're observing. And I wonder actually, do we get enough time to do that sometimes when I know we develop our expertise later on, so we're, we're more comfortable then when the pupils are busy to get in amongst them. But would we benefit when we're more experienced practitioners of you know, having the opportunity to do some focused observation without being the teacher in the room? Oh, yeah, definitely. So we, um, Cardiff High, or a few of us from Cardiff High this week, we were lucky enough to go on a course, Doug Lemov course. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and on those, you see great teachers teaching video clips and then pause and you sort of you articulate what's going on and you you analyze and and pick apart what's going on which is really good because more experienced teachers i'm like i get to see lots of people teach so i pick out loads from that point of view as well but just yeah just going to actually watch expert teachers teach but crucially talking about what they're doing is such an important part of of, yeah of developing and thinking in your own practice and then taking that back so for example one thing i picked up sort of on, on monday with lemov going back to assessment for learning as well is is the importance of circulating so if you want to work out are these kids understanding do i need to increase the challenge or I need to increase the support circulating is such an important tool that you can use rather than wait five ten minutes they do the task and then question them well during that five ten minutes of doing the task i can be formatively assessing just by circulating a very simple thing we talked about on monday was so as i'm lo- going around if they're doing a task a written task what am i looking for what are the right sort of words phrases if it's maths equations answers am i looking for but crucially what are the thing the common misconceptions i may see 
and almost having those jotted down. So Lemos talks about a lot of his teachers use sort of a clipboard and they'll have correct answer, common misconception one, two, and three, that the teacher's planned in advance. And then when the kids are actually doing the task, the circulating then is very, very targeted. So I'd walk up to you, Tom, for example, I'd look over your shoulder, and if I see you've got common misconception one, I might just make a little tally that, and I'd just go, have a look at that little one there. Then I'd go to you, Emma, have a look, you've got it, great, that's good, move on. The, the, it's in and out really quickly, rather than, if I don't know what I'm looking for, I could look over Tom's shoulder and read what he's doing and take... 30 seconds, 40 seconds, a minute before I've diagnosed what's going on. If I've already thought about those things before I get to him, I can diagnose it in 10 seconds. And that way I can get more, to see more pupils really, really quickly. Then I get a better understanding of where they are in the room at that point. And again, yeah, if then I'm seeing five, six, seven kids have got this common misconception, I can stop everybody, draw it back, re-explain it, and then set them off again. But if I'm waiting, they do the task, and I'm just at the front waiting and waiting and waiting, and then the questions come back, and I thought, oh, they haven't got this. Suddenly I've wasted 10 minutes of everybody's time where I could have diagnosed it a lot quicker. So, yeah, in terms of the challenge and support and formative assessment are so intrinsic to one another. You can't, you can't ascertain, do they need extra challenge, do they need extra support, unless you've ascertained how they're doing. And, the, yeah, that circulation is, is really, really important there. And so important, as you're saying there, to know what you're trying to achieve, what your destination is. I mean, we banged on about that didn't we the other day yeah know where your destination is because then everything you do is is going to get you to that destination and, and have that checklist in your mind of success and you know potentially not success so you can see it happen yeah because like i said earlier if if challenges about are they thinking hard about what it is i want them to learn if i'm not clear on what it is i want them to learn then i can't ascertain are they thinking hard about that thing so you've got to be really really clear tight specific on what it is i want them to learn mm. And from there, everything else flows. That's where your challenge sort of sits. Yeah, and then there's that implication for planning, isn't there? Um, which is why I think Doug Lemoff is an advocate of double planning. You know, what am I doing as the teacher? But then what, am I, what does that look like from the learner? So if you've done that good thinking in the planning stage, you've set them off on a task and you've got the misconceptions listed, you know what you're looking for. I think it's that step that sometimes um, when we're early on, not just when we're novice actually, because I think it actually takes, this is a lot of expertise yes, it yeah. takes to do this. That's where we really start to get um, a grasp of how our pupils are responding to it and how that is building towards that learning objective. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think peeling back from that, I think when you're new, particularly when you're novice, you are coming to teaching from a position, particularly in the secondary phase, I'm a secondary practitioner, so I'm speaking as I know it, of expertise. So then peeling back from that and thinking about how to pitch something, because challenge really is is about, you know, pitching at the right level as well. How do you go about, um, you're a history uh, teacher, you know, they've got to teach a particularly difficult concept that's key to the whole scheme of work. How do you know how to pitch it? Yeah, it's it's really hard, isn't it? There's the there's the the curse of knowledge as a as a relative subject expert. What I know is rather rather tacit. I know things, but to break that down into what it is I learned to get to this point is quite hard. So you've almost got to think about well, here's what I know. What were the steps that I took or an expert took to get to this point, and roll that back and almost break the knowledge, the skill that the the expert so to speak has break that down into its component parts 
and then think, okay, well, where are these pupils now? What do they know in terms of, once I've got these little components, where are these pupils going to be at that point? Which, again, that formative assessment is really, really key to diagnose what is it they know at this point. So if I've got my, my learning objective where I want to get to at some point, I've really got to ascertain where are they at this point, and that's then where that challenge comes in between what they already know and can do and what they're yet to know and what they're yet to be able to do. So diagnosing what it is they need, what it is they currently know, what they currently can do, their current position is is really, really important. Yeah, and, and how you do that is is in a number of ways, I suppose, really. Um, like I said, through the, the question in the circulation, maybe it's through little diagnostic tests at the start. Yeah, that's, that's for me, there's a, no, I think it's David Orsible. Now I've got the quote here, but he says, the most important single factor influencing learning is what the learner already knows ascertain this and teach them accordingly mm -hmm. so if you can ascertain what it is they already know and you've got where you want them to get to then that's that's the, the, the most important part i suppose there's another interesting angle on this i, I found when we were co-planning our thing that that mary myatt book that emma mentioned there's a really kind of eye-catching passage in there where she asks a bunch of quite difficult pupils so, you know, who's the teacher you really think you know is really great and it's someone who challenges them hugely by giving them these sort of university level articles and says don't worry you know you may not understand all of it but you know they enjoy being challenged is her her kind of argument here and I sort of it, it always makes me smile because I could imagine a, a new teacher kind of bounding into the classroom with some enormously difficult piece of writing going this is what's going to get them on site and it falling absolutely flat because Obviously, it's a kind of two or three page chapter, that one that Mary Myatt's written. So she can't kind of get into the nuances of it. But I feel there's a lot of groundwork to do there with that sort of very difficult class before you start handing them journal articles and things. There's an ethos you've got to set up first, isn't there? Yes, there's, there's, yeah, there's two parts to that, isn't there? There's, there's the culture of challenge and of expectation that you have as a teacher that you think these pupils can achieve, these pupils can do well, but instilling that in the pupils themselves, that you know, you, we can all succeed, we can all make progress, we can all do this. So setting that high challenge in a way that the pupils don't feel I could never get to that point is really, really important. And creating, yeah, it's whether you call it growth mindset culture, whatever you want to call it, but that idea that everybody can make progress and we can all learn, we might not be at that point at this moment in time, but there are steps we can take to get to that point with our knowledge and our, and our skill building up. But I remember, in terms of enthusing kids and challenge, right? so I'm from Caerphilly, and I, I haven't done research on this, but I reckon in Caerphilly, men, particularly men, aged, I'd say, between 30 and 50, I reckon you've got a disproportionate amount of men in Caerphilly, or from Caerphilly, aged 30 to 50, who've got an A-level or GCSE in geology, right? Because in St. Martin's Comprehensive School in Caerphilly, there was a teacher, ah. and Tim Lyons was his name, and he challenged, challenged, challenged in his lesson about geology, right? Geology is rocks, like the, rocks, looking at rocks. That's what all it is. But so many kids just love geology because this teacher, his enthusiasm, his passion for the subject, but importantly, the challenge that you put in every single lesson. I remember just, he would give us, you know, when we were in sort of year nine, right, this is a GCSE style knowledge that you need, or the level of knowledge that you need. Here's how we're going to get in there. Incrementally build it up. And when you're doing GCSE, these are the A-level things. You're fine with GCSE and push and challenge all the time. And when you're at A-level, it was your degree level. And everybody just sort of bought into this because the challenge was really high. There was the expectation we can all do this. The group sort of norm, we can all get to this point. But the steps he put in place 
in order for people to get it. It wasn't just, you're going to read this A-level text, off you go. It's breaking it down, explaining things and building us up so we can make those steps to get to that point. So yeah, it's, a bit, it's the culture in the room that's really, really important and a collective culture that everybody believes they can achieve. The teacher believes the kids can achieve and they can and the kids believe they can achieve, but then it's putting the steps in place. It's not just enough saying we can all do it. It's what are those steps in order to get people to do that, those incremental steps. Going back to this point of where do I want them to be, where are they coming at this moment, and then not putting that, that challenge too far. If I'm pitching things too high, kids will flounder. If I'm pitching things too short, they'll look busy, but they're not really challenged. How do I incrementally build it and keep stretching and keep stretching and keep stretching so yeah that culture and those steps in place at the same time quite a tightrope isn't it because you've got to say it's all right to fail we're all going to fail we're going to get things wrong because this is really hard but then you've also got to say but (laughs) we're going to do something about it because otherwise it's okay to fail all right we'll fail yeah you've got you've got to have a culture in the room you're right this this idea of failing is a good thing i'm sort of two ways of looking at that yeah. because that, that can become a culture of oh it's fine yeah that's yeah. a good answer that's fine oh well done for trying all this sort of stuff yeah but mediocrity being yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah yeah and it's fine because you had a go it's fine but yeah because you had a go that's fine but we got it wrong and we're going to learn from this and here's what we're going to do next and here's how we're going to make it better so you can't have a culture where if kids get things wrong you sort of go that's wrong not happy with that because then they won't next time they won't try and you won't know that they've got it wrong so the, the building the culture, again, Lemma calls it a culture of error, where it's fine to make mistakes because we learn from the mistakes and we address them. So if you've got that culture where kids are safe to try things, to say I don't know, but perhaps more importantly, if they don't know, they still have a go. As a teacher, go back to the formative assessment, I'm then getting an understanding of what they know and what they don't know. If they're reluctant to try, reluctant to give answers for fear of being wrong, I don't know if they're right or wrong. Mm. So I need to know if they know it. If they're not trying, I don't know if they know it or not. Mm. And then my responses are going to be going to be poor because I'm getting less evidence of whether they know things. Mm. And my decision will be based on poor evidence. And then, you know, for example, I might think, one kid's got it, great. Tom, what's the answer? Tom gives me that answer, brilliant. Everybody agree? Yeah, we all agree. Okay, good, let's move on. The rest of them might not have got that, but they've just said, yeah, because they're scared of getting it wrong. So I need to know if people don't know to set the challenge accordingly Mm. and this is where i i know you know connecting the dots things like say it again better that lamov is again advocate of giving giving them the opportunity to understand the mistake and then improving it quite quickly after if 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 that's as long as it takes for them to understand the mistake and rectify it yes or, or to or to just in terms of the literacy to say it in a clearer more coherent way yes um so that culture is is interesting but i'm I want to zoom out a little bit now and just think about how sometimes system systemically or just to do with the systems in school, the odds can be stacked against us. So things like setting, for example. So if you're working with a bottom set class, there you're dealing with a very different culture and very different um, sort of behaviours, outlooks, levels of motivation from pupils. I'm generalising, of course, compared with top set. And we wouldn't necessarily generalise in that way, but we do know that sometimes in top set, 
we've got really risk averse pupils because they're in this kind of potential environment of competition and so that can make a sort of retreat that certainly happened to me I remember when I went to school myself I was in the class just before top sets because we were sort of in a rank um, and I was in A and the top set class was P I got examined at Christmas and then I got moved up to P and I absolutely choked because the culture was completely different mm. I became really risk averse and I had to go back to A even though I probably could have coped so we we don't necessarily as teachers have a lot of control over that over you know hopefully we have a say but we don't necessarily have that control so if you're dealing with a school or, or you're working in a school where there is that setting culture or indeed if you're dealing in with a school where they've decided to bring GCSEs a year earlier so your pupils are working to exam level sooner and you're working towards the test so you you've kind of restricted in terms of breadth but they've got this expectation that we're working at GCSE level now Mm -hmm. in year eight how do you how do you still create all of that that great stuff that you just talked about that allows pupils to thrive and to challenge themselves and rise to the challenge whilst dealing with those difficult system things yeah because they're all very different challenges aren't they sort of Mm. like a top set where you have got some potentially some risk averse the lower sets where you may have motivation issues or even sort of manifesting itself as potentially behaviour issues a little bit. And then sort of the, the narrowing of, of GCSE. If you go with the, start with perhaps a lower set, how do you motivate, how do you challenge pupils in lower set? I think perhaps it works for all three scenarios, but certainly this idea that we need to have, certainly as teachers, I believe, and really, really instill in the kids, is the idea that ability, a person's ability is the result fundamentally of what it is they've already learnt. The more we learn, the more able we become. So the more I learn about music, I've got a little piano now, I was 40 a couple of uh, months ago, or 18 months ago, a piano, and I'm, I'm trying to learn bits of piano, and I wasn't very able, but the more I'm learning now, the more able I'm becoming. So my abilities is the result of what I've learnt. Sometimes pupils and teachers have the mindset that what pupils learn is the result of their ability. They are low ability, therefore they won't be able to learn this. And I think we need to flip that on its head. So the more we can get kids learning, the more able they'll become. And if kids believe that in the lower sets, the reason, you know, you don't know this yet, but we can get, we can learn this. And the more we learn, the more able we become. Once you learn this, you'll be able to learn that and learn that. And these going back again, these incremental steps, that can breed a bit of motivation. So those small bits of success can really breed motivation the belief the kids have that they can become more able they can achieve they can learn more and giving them small bits of success can really build motivation within those kids i believe and you know i have some experience of that that being the case it will be an anecdotal experience but again in those lower sets i think the fundament is is that attitude that culture within the kids but obviously then it's, it's having systems routines classroom management behavior management again clarity of learning objectives all those sorts of things but that that fundamental culture from a teacher but also importantly in those kids that they can achieve they can do better and those bits of success will should lead to a bit more motivation for them with those top sets again i think the risk averse you know i think it probably comes from the idea that i am in this class i don't want to make mistakes oh, I can't get this. There's, there's the, you know, the, the mindset thing is near, the fixed mindset. I can't get this. Therefore, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shut down because I'm used to getting things become really easy. Again, put in the shift in terms of, yeah, your ability is the result of what it is you've learned. So you can't, you don't know this at the moment. We can get there. We can, we can make it happen. 
But I think with those top sets, it is the, the collective culture, again, really, really important that, again, the culture of error, it's fine to make mistakes, it's fine to try, this is how we learn, we make progress, we learn from what we haven't yet learned. If we're making a mistake, we'll address it, we'll learn from it. But a safe environment where people are appreciated for trying, appreciated for volunteering answers, if work goes up on the board, people are appreciated for that. And as a teacher, you can build that into the room. You can make that part of the routines of the classroom. But if somebody gives an answer, you thank them. Well done for giving an answer. That's brave. I can see you've got that wrong, but I can see why you've got that wrong. A lot of us would have got that wrong. So to reassure people that it's not them and it's not a, it's not a problem that they got the answer wrong. In fact, it's a good thing because we're sharing and we're all going to learn from it. So there's two different ways of, of viewing it there. But it, yeah, I think building that challenge in to all of it is sort of is sort of fundamental I think with the GCSE one I think it's probably a slightly different issue personally I can see why three year GCSEs come into into play understandably but it yeah it does narrow pupils experiences across the school and what it is they learn drama music for example if they're lucky enough to do, do it in year seven and year eight and then suddenly they do a three year GCSE and they stop it they've only got two years of learning that stuff you know, and they could have done three years of it and learn learn more. That's, you know, fifty percent more, isn't it? So yeah, as a, as a classroom teacher, then if you are teaching in a in environments where you are, I suppose you've got longer to do it, so you can provide more stretch. You you can go within your subject. You can offer more depth, then, can't you? But I think across the board, pupils are perhaps having less breadth. Yeah, I just want to pick up on that notion of subject and and zoom out even further. And we know that we are in the throes of curriculum reform, and I'm. I think at the moment it's probably best to just talk about secondary here because I, I'm not a primary bod, so I can't talk with confidence on this. But you talked about the geology teacher. And I'm just wondering, is it possible for a secondary classroom practitioner to challenge to the extent without working themselves into the ground that someone who is an, a disciplinary expert, you know, if I would come in, to teach history I would wager that I would really struggle so have we have we got a problem there is that just if we look at curriculum for Wales just through that lens is there an issue what 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 do you think about that I think potentially there is it depends on how well even if not it depends the level or what it is they're teaching the kids I suppose and if you've got a good grasp of understanding of what it is you're teaching and where the pupils need to be going then you can challenge those pupils, even if you're not a subject expert, but you do need to be an expert in what it is you're actually teaching at that point in time. So you may not have a history degree, but if you're teaching key stage three history and you've got a good understanding of that, I think you can offer that challenge. But again, you need to know what it is the pupils need to know and understand to be able to do. You need to really know where the pupils are at that point and sort of how to get them on that journey. So you do need expertise in terms of the level you're teaching at, not necessarily expertise as in degree level perhaps but I do feel that yeah with curriculum for Wales potentially you know if subjects are being collapsed and subject disciplines are, are disappearing which which could happen in some some schools are perhaps choosing that I think there is a potential danger there that you know for me the the four purposes are all about helping people make sense of the world and thrive in the world for me the way we make sense of the world around us is through looking through subject disciplines and each subject offers us a different way of thinking about the world and of being in the world and of questioning the world 
for me, the, the more lenses through which we can allow people to see the world, the greater their understanding of the world will become and the more capacity to think about that world and thrive in that world. So if we collapse subjects and offer pupils fewer lenses through which to view the world, perhaps led by pupils who aren't perhaps, or teachers who aren't experts in those lenses, so to speak, then I I think pupils overall understanding will be, be diminished. So I'm a big believer in keeping subject disciplines for as long as possible throughout the curriculum. Thinking about giving a couple of goodies to our listeners now, because uh, we've, we've been talking some really big philosophical stuff here. And I'm imagining maybe we've got uh, someone, maybe they're a newly qualified teacher, that go into a new school, new set of classes, and maybe things are not quite where they want them to be in terms of the stuff we've been talking about today. Um, maybe, maybe I'm generalising hugely here, but I think, for example, music, drama, PE, you fail publicly a lot. It's a it's a subject where you perform in public um, and, and a good teacher of that subject will tend to put a lot of effort into creating that ethos of less. <laughs> let's all fail publicly and it's okay maybe in some subjects there's a lot of it goes on in the book just between the pupil and the teacher and maybe they're trying to change it so it's like no we'll put it all out there and we'll we'll celebrate it maybe they're working with pupils who have been told their predicted GCSE grades at year seven you know that the computer says they're going to get a G or something like that they've come into this place and they want one thing that they could do tomorrow with their classes consistently that's going to start them along the road to creating a classroom where people fail publicly and it's okay and then they deal with it what should they do tomorrow i think perhaps being upfront being explicit being honest again maybe starting with that culture or that belief that you know our ability here is a result of what we learn we're here to learn the more we learn the more able we'll become and key part of that learning is we need to learn from one another. If we make mistakes, that's good. We can learn from these mistakes. And being upfront and being explicit about and, and that belief and then putting things in place to make that happen. So like I said earlier, really, if people are making mistakes, if they're volunteering answers, we thank them for that. that. That's an interesting point. We can use this. We can learn from this. If you're seeing pupils work in their books, the, the common misconception happening, asking the pupil, like, this would be really useful if I showed this with the rest of the group. Can I put this up? And it's, it's, it creates a culture then where people are more willing to try things. Pupils are more willing to try things because they feel they're benefiting together as a group. Moving forward. So creating that group norm that we're all here to learn. The more we learn, the more able we'll all become. We can learn with one another, from one another. So yeah, so I'd say being explicit and upfront early on about what it is, why we're here. We're here to learn. The group norm is really important. The better we do as a group, the better we'll do as individuals, and we can all help each other to move forward. James Wise, thank you very much. A really interesting deep dive into challenge and lots of sort of practical techniques, ideas that you can hopefully start to apply to your own practice. Um, and of course, you know, we've got our two short slots. So the first one is something for our listeners to try. Something to try. I'd say really, something to try really, really effective is a very simple thing. When asking questions to pupils, make them write their responses first. Low stakes, it could be bullet points, it could be a mind map. It's you ask the question and you say, okay, I want you to write a response. It doesn't have to be formal language, write your response. So here's the question. I want three potential causes of the Russian Revolution 1917. 
Can you jot down your responses now for me, please? Give them time. And then when I come to question then, the conversation we're going to have is far more fruitful. First of all, I've got everybody in that room thinking about that question because they're all having to write. And then the conversation that comes afterwards, like I say, is far more fruitful because they've got a prompt. If I was to say, three causes of the Industrial Revolution, Tom, what have you got? You're panicking because I've come to you. You're not thinking about the things at all. If you've already written it, you've thought about it. If I come to you, you may panic, but you've got something to prompt you. So I think doing an everybody writes question, everybody writes thinking time. Again, go back to the formative assessment. Doing that everybody writes, I can quickly circulate and see what who things are. I can, oh, that's a good one. I'll go to him to start us off. So that would be my, my main thing to try. And everybody writes question, everybody writes, and then go from there and i guess if you're asking a question that's challenging enough you're going to do that i suppose it's a sign if you're asking a question where somebody can give you a snap answer in one second it probably isn't a challenging enough question yes yeah yeah definitely yeah. yeah okay and have you got anything interesting that you have read listened to watched or otherwise consumed that you would like to share with the listenership it doesn't have to be about challenge or even education if you don't want lots of different things really i suppose i was listening to dylan william today a podcast with him a rival podcast rival podcast <laughs> it was the mr barton uh, yes. on there yeah and it, it was just it was it was formative assessment he was talking about just a very sort of simple point and do you know what? i even put it when i got here i even put it in my phone not in preparation for this question but just because i want to bring this up but a very very simple thing better evidence leads to better decisions which leads to better teaching I thought it was just so interesting. So if I can elicit better evidence of how are these, what are they thinking about? What do they know? What are they struggling with? If I can get good evidence from that, then I can make a better decision about what I do as a teacher to respond to that, which will then lead to better learning. So better evidence leads to better decisions, which leads to better teaching. I thought that was really, really interesting from that podcast. Mm, and better evidence isn't always kind of simple, is it? I mean, people think evidence, they think numbers and boxes and stuff, but actually high-quality evidence can be quite messy, can't it? Yes, yeah. Quite the, the, informal. The, yeah, the, the breadth and the depth of that evidence, but the better evidence leads to better decisions, which then leads to better learning. The mighty Dylan William, another yeah. keynote speaker at uh, the inaugural Research Ed Cymru he was, event. He was indeed. Yeah, and what a what a great presentation that was. I think it was on a screen, wasn't it? He <laughs> was, yeah, yeah, from the States. Yes, he was yeah. on the screen yeah. before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, actually. Yeah. He was, he totally yeah. was. He's always a trailblazer. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. James, thank you ever so much for thank being you. a guest on our, on our podcast. Um, and good luck with the preparation for Research Ed Cymru. I'm thank sure you. you're going to get uh, a lot of people... Yeah. Um, inundating you with uh, wanting to come along to that we'll be back with you in two weeks time thank you very much for listening and thanks to James yeah thank you you've been listening to Emma and Tom Talk Teaching a podcast about all things education presented by Emma Thayer and Tom Breeze the special guest this episode was James Wise from Cardiff High School you can find out about Research Ed Cymru by checking out Cymru underscore Ed on Twitter. Podcast artwork is by Beth Blandford and the music is by Cameron Stewart. We'll be back in a fortnight with something else interesting. Until then, take care and enjoy teaching. Bye.